Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Pumped up for this show today because we could finally talk about a vaccine and help uh, uh, on the horizon. We know today the President of the United States uh, will be busy. Uh, We know that New York City Mayor de Blasio will have a briefing. I'm sure it'll just be about a shutdown. And Anthony Fauci is going to do some media for a change with the Bloomberg American Health Institute Summit. Does he ever put on a lab coat and try to work on anything? Uh, Congressman Michael Waltz will be with us about this disturbing China story. Uh, what we're hearing about the security of the Biden team taking shape in terms of a secretary of defense and some of the challenges. If, in fact, he does become president of the United States, he's moving forward on that. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A Chinese intelligence agent, Christine Fung, became a force within the Democratic Party of California. She cultivated a number of Democratic office holders. Fung also began a relationship with a man called Eric Swalwell. Swalwell sits on the House Intelligence Committee. He is privy to this country's most closely held secrets. You believe this? China... Uh, man, using college students to infiltrate up-and-coming, they, they claim, uh, lawmakers. The congressman who cries, who led the cries of Trump and Russia sold his soul, perhaps, unwittingly to China, the failed presidential candidate. I'm talking about Eric Swalwell, one of the many Democrats on the West Coast who might have been victim to China through a college student penetrating our, into our national security apparatus. After all, he's on the Intelligence Committee. What did he tell her, and why is the FBI investigating him? You know what he says in response? Oh, it's all because I led the impeachment against Trump. Trump's behind it. Really? Axios broke the story, genius. Meanwhile, Joe Biden shows how serious he's taking the China threat. He's going to ask a South Bend former mayor with no international experience to be the ambassador to China. I'm talking Mayor Pete. Good job. Number two. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. The gold standard vaccine has been done in less than nine months. Uh, Unbelievable. And I never saw the president so happy, at least over the last couple of years. The vaccine is here as the virus surges. But at least we have a legit weapon to fight it as California a court and a judge in 73 pages reveals what we all instinctively knew and we've been talking about here today. There is no science behind the shutdown of these businesses, the restaurants and gyms. They're not based on any data. It's an abuse of power. Now it's got to get to the governorships. Now we got to open up these, responsibly open up these bars and restaurants right away. Number one. I'm afraid that Texas case falls in that category of that dog won't hunt. I mean, I don't see how that's going to be successful, particularly after this loss. So I think that it does not look very promising. 
And that's the problem. Uh, Trump files a blizzard of lawsuits. They all have some merit, but they fall short. But the fight is not over as Texas uses their muscle to throw a Hail Mary for a Trump second term. What they're saying is they're looking at five separate states and they're saying, I got a huge problem with the way you did your mail-in voting. I had a huge problem with the way you passed unilaterally through executive order this new non-requested absentee ballot situation. I have a real problem with how you cure these ballots. So far, the Trump team had 50 challenges roughly over a five-week span. They lost just about all of them. Doesn't mean there's no merit. The mail-in ballot is an issue. Uh, Those absentee ballots that they came in maybe 200,000. Now you have over 2 million in Pennsylvania alone. That's the problem. They were not able to handle it. They didn't do it efficiently, and there were some upsets along the way. And the president just does not believe he lost Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. Can't believe about Miss, uh, Michigan either. Would it have happened without the pandemic? Give an example. In Pennsylvania, they had in 2016 233,000 mail-in ballots. Okay? A lot. How about in 2020? Can you change that to 2.5? And you know the criteria and how it was done? Not through the legislature, but through executive order, Democratic governor. Now, if you're the president, of course you're upset. If you have a legal challenge, of course it's got merit. But not enough for the Supreme Court to take it. Not one person dissented, including the three justices the president put in place. Sean Parnell, who lost to Heartbreaker, it seems as now, in Pennsylvania— War hero, great guy, best-selling author. It looks like he lost by a few thousand votes. He saw this come down, came down. He, he was on last night, Cut 77. I think it's important to define what we're talking about here. We're talking about Act 77. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Pennsylvania's no-excuse absentee law. And what we right. argue is that Act 77 is fundamentally unconstitutional. So why is it unconstitutional? Because in order to change the time, place, and manner of an election in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, it requires a back-to-back vote in the General Assembly. Uh, Martha, that did not happen. It needs to be advertised in two newspapers in every county in the state for three months. That did not happen. And, And this is the most important part. It needs to be put on the ballot in a referendum so that the people of our great Commonwealth have a say in how we conduct elections here. And I believe that that is what the PA framers of our Constitution intended. And this is why it's important the president's doing what he's doing. Have Anderson Cooper and all those maniacs just target the president, whether he's coming up with a vaccine or he is uh, putting a tariff on China. They always have a problem with everything he does. But what he's doing is, Arizona, define what you did here. Georgia, try to explain how you, uh, how you attacked this election. Wisconsin, really? We'll do a recount, but I got a bigger problem with how you counted. Michigan? Major problem with the way they went about things is Democratic governor as well as Pennsylvania. But looking at the merits of the case, it's not without merit, just not enough for the Supreme Court to take it. Jonathan Turley on Pennsylvania, cut three. It is a big blow. You know, we've talked in the past about how the president was running on a runway. And at this point, uh, to really make a difference, he'd have to land a jumbo jet on a postage stamp. I mean, he does not have a lot of runway left. Uh, This was considered his strongest case for the Supreme Court. And the court system has proven that it is independent in reviewing these these claims. Many of these are Trump appointees who are voting against the position of the president, not because they have animus, but because they don't see the legal case. All right. So Texas immediately followed up. And I saw when the president pointed out the governor, he kind of winked at him. And I think this is why Texas said we did ours right. Florida, Ohio, all you guys did it right. I don't care if you want Democrat or Republican. I just want to be right. 
You know, Walter Mondale lost 49 to 1. George Bush, you could debate for Florida. They ended up doing a total recount on Florida later on, and, the, and George Bush did win it. But we had one state. We have multiple states where we did something totally unorthodox. And you see, without the word unorthodox, I'm not saying Democrat or Republican. Can we agree on unorthodox? So in Texas, they started to step up. I didn't know this. One state can sue another state, and it can only go to the Supreme Court. So they're saying, I don't like the way Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia went about uh, this election. So here's Ken Paxton, who put the suit together, who wants to find out and before the 14th if the Supreme Court will take it. Cut for. In almost all those cases that we have, we have states that, that allowed mail-in ballots in cases they were not supposed to. They allowed for non-signature verification, which is really important. So when you, when you request a mail-in ballot, you have to sign for that, for that application, and then they'll verify when you send your ballot in on a sleeve of the ballot. Usually they'll verify that signature to ensure that those two signatures match. Well, if you just waive those requirements, you have no way to go back and verify that the person that requested the application is the person voting. That's a pretty important thing when in Pennsylvania you go from 233,000 uh, mail-in ballots four years ago to 2.5 million, and the difference in the election was only 81,000. That's a very important issue to, to ignore. All right, so that's the case. You know, I'm not a lawyer. It's likely you're not a lawyer. So, and I, I get this, I was working out last night, and I cannot tell you how many people work, walk up to me working out, and we wipe all the machines down afterwards, and we all wear masks, and it sucks, but I'm willing to do it because I want to work out, all right? I don't have a home gym. You probably don't have a home gym either. I do have, I'm lucky enough to have a Peloton. I'm not a big floor exercise guy. I'm a little traditional that way. I cannot tell you how many people came up to me, college-educated, firemen, uh, cops. I can't keep up with it. They just say, I can't keep up with it, join the club. Is he going to win? So you always go to a legal expert after. So Ken Paxton, intelligent guy, Texas Attorney General. What's the merits of the case? I go to a guy like Jonathan Turley who speaks in layman's terms and is nonpartisan. Cut five. I'm afraid that Texas case falls in that category of that dog won't hunt. I mean, I don't see how that's going to be successful, particularly after this loss. And yes, the timing was notable. This, the ink was hardly dry on the filing uh, when the court came back and basically ended this issue. Uh, so I think that it does not look very promising. All right, so there you go. It doesn't look promising, but we're going to see what's going to happen. So uh, we know the president's going to be at the Army-Navy football game at West Point. It's going to be played there first time since 1943. You heard us talk to Heisman Trophy winner, former Annapolis standout. Um, Rogers talked back yesterday about the significance of that game, but it's not going to have an audience, I don't think, but they'll have cadets. I guess they'll be spaced out. But the president sooner or later is going to realize he might run out of legal options. It doesn't mean he doesn't legitimately have a case. It doesn't amount to a case where a Supreme Court overturns the verdict uh, that they say the people of that state came up with. So that's the issue. The other issue that drives me nuts and you crazy, and I got your calls, as much as I respect the lethality of this virus, as much as I understand that you have to look out and there's a lot of people suffering, hold up, and a lot of people do everything right and still get it. I'm looking at the global pandemic as it comes back for a massive second wave. I see what's happening in Germany. They locked it down. They know how to do it. It is back. They're ready to cancel Christmas. I looked at Sweden. We're only going to lock up the vulnerable. It's back, not at the length of other European nations, but it's back in France. They have been able to tame it. In the U.K., unable to tame it. In the U.S., the same thing. In a Japan, Japan's an island. Australia's an island. Different societies, free societies makes it tough. Is there any society more disciplined? 
disciplined than Israel? I mean, my goodness, men and women serve in the military. It's mandatory. If they're not disciplined on a daily basis, if they don't have a bomb shelter within five feet, you're not a true Israeli who don't understand about survival. They're getting killed. I think they're in their third wave. Having said that, I'm saying to myself, why are you shutting down every business when we made the adjustments to our businesses? These bars and restaurants are shutting down again. And the outrage is happening from Staten Island, New York, over to Santa Monica, California, to Manhattan Beach, California. Last night in Idaho as well. We've seen the uprising in Michigan as well, in New Jersey. Huge pushback, whether it's a gym or restaurant. So finally, this case was brought to a judge. This judge, James Shalafat, in the Los Angeles Superior Court, and these restaurant owners said, do not shut me down. I demand the governor tell me what the science and data is that says outdoor dining, even indoor dining, is going to hurt me and this virus. Well, it turns out, upon further review, in court they had no science. The science that we have is only 3% of total cases come from restaurants and bars, but they're still shutting down and destroying Tens of thousands of bars, they say 500,000 restaurants are in danger of closing within the next month. So the owner of Slapfish, Andrew Gruel, brought a suit forward. Mark Gergos took it as well. And here's what the judge essentially said. The restaurant closure is an abuse of power of the department's emergency powers. It is not grounded in science, evidence, or logic and should be adjudicated to be unenforceable as a matter of law. Uh, This wrote the judge in a tentative ruling issued uh, Tuesday, yesterday, in a legal challenge. Part of the 73 pages, I pulled this out, found that the county failed to justify its decision to shutter outdoor dining to perform required risk-benefit analysis after restrictions. The outbreak data provided to the court showed the cases traced back to bars and restaurants accounted for 3.1%. In Michigan, it came back 4.2%, but I digress. This has to be something that's taken up to the state uh, state courts, and this has got to be eradicated. Mark Gergos, the audio's not great, but he looked at this case. You know him from famous murder uh, cases, but he defended this. Cut 23. The decision to include, among other sectors, outdoor dining really has to do with the goal of keeping people at home, not a comment on the safety of outdoor dining. This was a complete political theater. They have no evidence whatsoever. They listed two things in their hundreds of pages of declaration. They said they had a report from a 27-year-old from Wuhan in March who had contracted COVID outdoors. And they pointed to a CDC study. We presented the CDC study. There was nothing about indoor or nothing about outdoor. It was all indoor. This whole thing was a ruse. They admitted that what they want to do is they want to force people indoors. This has nothing to do with the safety outdoors. You represent the owner of Engine Company Number Twenty Eight. So. It's nuts, nuts. And essentially, they tell me it's symbolic. I wrote Trey Gowdy, uh, and I'll, I'll, let me see. And I saw it come in as I was walking in here, and I said, what can you say about this? And rather than reading it cold, I'll take a break, come back, tell you what he wrote, and, and then we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. 
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, well, we're back, everybody. one 408 Michael Walt is going to be with us. One of the things we're going to talk to him about is this study, and the Axios did this exhaustive study about what China is doing in this country. And there's a reason why John Radcliffe came out and spoke so coherently and detailed about the danger of China, what they're doing with their military, what they're doing with technology, uh, what they're doing in terms of cyber terror or cybersecurity, and what they're doing with actual physical spies in our country. It turns out they had a program to target up-and-coming Democratic, it seems, lawmakers, young, with so-called interns. Yes, Chinese students. Why we let all these Chinese students in? I have no idea. Because almost all of them turn out being spies. Guess who they, they, they targeted among the many? Ro Kahana. Seems like a great guy, but extremely socialist. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, who's literally got, is so talented, war veteran. Uh, way, way to the left, but they obviously looked at her and said she's got a promising future, even though the Democrats don't like her. And now also this guy named Eric Swalwell who's got this Katrina Fang uh, woman who started as an intern, ends up being paid. He also, she also placed another friend of her intern in uh, the Swalwell camp, and he never picked it up, really. So Swalwell, who is leading the charge, uh, saying that the president is basically a spy and a stooge of Russia, it turns out he's compromised. He didn't even know it, or did he know it, by... Well, you know, by the FBI has done an investigation, so he knew it. Listen to him accusing President Trump of being a Russian agent. Cut 40, 30. The question has shifted uh, from whether the president is working with the Russians to what evidence exists uh, that the president is not working uh, with the Russians. He's betrayed our country, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I, I worked as a prosecutor for seven years, and I... But betraying the country, by the way, we want evidence before you yeah. say that, but you said an agent of Russia. Yeah, he, he works on their behalf. Do you still believe that the president is a, a Russian agent? I think he acts on Russia's behalf, and he puts Russia's interests ahead too often of America's interests. You're a member of judiciary. Do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? Yes, I, I think there's more evidence than he agent. is. 
Yes, and I, I think all the arrows point in that direction, and I haven't seen a single piece of evidence that he's not. Gotcha. So, Brian, by the way, you're guilty unless I see something that you're not. I'm also a Russian agent because we have not shown any evidence that I'm not. Please pursue that, uh, Allison, would you? Because I am guilty, please, uh, until ch- I'm guilty of everything unless I can prove my innocence. Meanwhile, Fang, this one we were talking about, the, according, to the, uh, according to this report, took part in fundraising activities for Swalwell's 2014 re-election campaign and helped place at least one intern in his office. Intel officials who had been monitoring Fang's activities became so concerned about her ties to Swalwell that they gave him a defensive briefing. Yes, Mr. President, there's this thing called defensive briefings. You never got it. And we got, in turn, the Mueller report. I'm back with Michael Waltz on this and so much more. Not only is a congressman, he's also a former Green Beret. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to talk about the Kremlin playbook. And there are a number of ways that a foreign adversary can seek to influence a person. Do you agree with that? Yes. Financial? Yes, that can be one. Uh, Romance, you said, is another? Yes. Compromise? Correct. Setting up a compromise? Sure, to execute on a compromise, yes. How about inadvertently capturing a compromise, meaning they have vast surveillance and you stumble into that surveillance and are caught in a compromise. And then they take that information, try and use it to coerce you. Yeah, that's part of the playbook. Either he reads a lot of mystery novels or intelligence novels or uh, I don't know, or he actually experienced this directly. Uh, that is Eric Swalwell questioning James Comey on how and basically getting to the fact that Donald Trump has given away the store to Russia. Meanwhile, he's given away intelligence to China, it seems. Congressman Michael Waltz, a colleague of his, he's on the Armed Services Committee, uh, Science, Space and Technology. Congressman, what is your take on Eric Swalwell and his uh, affinity for Chinese interns? Well, you know, I just spent the last year on the China task force as well, yep. uh, Brian, and this influence operation, this is the tip of the iceberg uh, with this guy. But you know, this this tip of the iceberg was Adam Schiff's right hand man for, you know, for people who don't know who he is uh, and leading the charge on Russia, Russia, Russia. In fact, in, uh, in, a re- in a debate last year said Russia was the number one threat, not China, to the United States. So, you know, this is what the Chinese are doing and have been doing, uh, is influencing, is penetrating academia, our research institutions, our political political institutions. And it's not just at the congressional level. When they reached out to him, uh, he was a city councilman. uh, And they pick people they think are going to be up and coming. And in California, they're doing it with all Democrats. Because who do you have coming from California? The Speaker of the House. Diane Feinstein on the Senate Intel Committee, Kamala Harris, now vice president, uh, folks like Swalwell, who somehow ended up on the Intel Committee and influencing their thinking, influencing their campaigns, writing them checks. This woman, who's a Chinese spy, also had romantic relationships with a number of members. I don't know if it was with Swalwell as well. 
Uh, and they're also flooding the zone with 400,000 Chinese students per year uh, that we have been working to get that dial back, and the Trump administration has been working to dial back. So I just wanted people to understand how pervasive uh, this effort is on the part of Chinese, and people are compromising at the tip of the iceberg, and who knows who they've compromised in the Biden administration. Very good point. Maybe, like, for example, Hunter Biden? Hunter, that- yeah, like— yeah, I mean, right. as uh, the, 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 you know, this guy once is on the verge of possibly being president, his son, uh, who flew over with him on Air Force Two on official business and a couple of weeks later gets a billion dollar investment. The other thread to pull there, Brian, is what kind of companies were they high tech companies? Were they sensitive technologies Did Hunter help the Chinese invest into? By the way, uh, Senator Feinstein had a driver, didn't she? And was he a Chinese spy? Well, here's what here's uh, where the question I want to know from the FBI is Dianne Feinstein has a Chinese spy as her driver on her staff, and she gets a threat briefing. Swalwell has interns and a Chinese spy influencing his campaign. He gets a threat briefing. But Comey and the FBI suspect, supposedly, that the uh, Trump campaign has somebody being influenced by Russia. Did they give President Trump a threat briefing? Did they, they let him know and let him nope. take corrective action like they do the Democrats? No, they put a presidential candidate under surveillance and didn't tell him and then set the stage once he won as president of the United States to continue the surveillance with the famous January 5th meeting that Susan Rice, his national security advisor, captured. So that's a whole other aspect of this on unequal justice, what the uh, FBI is up to, how they're corrupt at the top, and when Biden and his new DOJ, if they get in, are going to wash it back under the rug. Don't worry. Pete Buttigieg will be the at 38 years old with a mayor background. He'll be yeah. over as ambassador to China. He'll handle everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Our greatest adversary, uh, I think this country has ever faced, Brian, because we've never faced one with an economy as large or larger than I, I don't as ours. I don't think folks realize the, the Chinese Navy is now larger than the U.S. Navy. Their space force had more launches, more satellites last year than the rest of the world combined. This is very serious. We need a wake-up call. And this administration, Biden said just earlier this year, rise of China, no big deal. We can all kumbaya get along. Well, that's not what Chairman Z is saying. Chairman Xi is saying, the the president of China, he's going to replace the American dream with the Chinese dream. This is about global domination. They are in a Cold War against the United States. We need to wake up, and the Democrats are asleep at the switch. So uh, this, by the way, this congressman, this self-important congressman who had a great run for president, did he end up winning? Okay, sorry. It turns out I'm getting word that he didn't win. He is now on CNN at this very moment, and the caption is, the future of the stimulus. I wonder if China is even going to come up there because it is news. Eric Swalwell said this when all this stuff broke last night. I've been a critic of the president. I've spoken out against him. I was on both committees that worked to impeach him. The timing feels like this should be looked at. Really? We're looking at the timing when an Axios, who is hardly a friend of the president, does a, yeah. a year-long study that worried about the timing after the election? Yeah, I—, I... <laughs> Not only after the election, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm pleasantly shocked that Axios even ran this story. Uh, uh, that, that's a whole other issue in terms of the bias in the media and how the Chinese are also influencing our media. 
But, uh, yeah, that's that's just a joke. I mean, obviously, the Mueller investigation, this Russia stuff has been going on for four years. Uh, and that's just that's just weak sauce at its best. But it doesn't surprise me. So, uh, Congressman, do you believe the president's doing the right thing by fighting in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin? And um, I think that's it. Yeah. At Michigan. Brian, I think there are some there are some very real constant, very meaty, substantive constitutional issues at play here. Uh, uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court clearly overreached and completely changed uh, the Pennsylvania legislature's election laws. Uh, additional things happened in Georgia in terms of the lawsuit and how those changed. But the bigger issue is the Democrats are taking many of these things and making them, and they, they did it under, under, under our noses in many ways uh, and under the cover of COVID and making them legal. Uh, and what I want folks to understand is Pelosi's first law that she pushed as speaker wasn't immigration or health care. It was changing election law, including dropping the voting age to 16. That died in the Republican-led Senate. But if they get those two seats in Georgia, the first thing they're going to do is lock down power, change the way our democracy works, D.C. statehood for two more senators so that they can get their progressive agenda across. There's really a lot at stake here, and we can't roll this, these changes back. If we lose the Senate, I know. And you guys got to get it together and make sure they straighten out their election challenges, even though it's a Republican secretary of state uh, and governor. Uh, no I, idea Brian, I think that uh, the Texas lawsuit is very substantive, very real. Encourage people to look at it. Finally, the president's getting the good lawyering, lawyering that he deserves and that this crisis deserves. Right. Yeah, we'll see, because uh, Ted Cruz is not going to get a chance to fight in Pennsylvania. So we know Lloyd Austin, four star general retired three years ago, is going to be nominated as Secretary of Defense. He's going to be the first African-American Secretary of Defense. Uh, what are your, do you know him? What do you think? Well, I have, uh, I have real issues with, with generals running the Pentagon. That's a, that's a civilian's job, and I think we could, that's a nuanced issue, but one, one worth talking about. I think the, the uh, I have real concerns about his job, and the job he did as a general over Central Command, he said ISIS, he was one of the ones saying ISIS was, you know, kind of a joke, a flash in the pan, you know, advising the uh, then President Obama, who said it was a JV team. That was a disaster. Uh, his efforts in Syria were a disaster. We spent half a billion dollars to train the Syrian resistance, and we got six or seven trained. Uh, so do the math there. <laughs> uh, and, you know, much less the broader issues of the industrial base or shipbuilding, cyber. Uh, it, it's just sad that, that Biden passed over what would have been uh, Michelle Flournoy, the first female sec def. So I guess I guess that wasn't diverse or woke enough and uh, is doing this on, a, a, you know, what seems to be on identity politics under com- pressure from the Congressional Black Caucus. Yeah, I, I look it's forward really to really a shame, not with the Defense Department, not with our national defense. You go with the best qualified, period. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you have the best contacts, so you don't need to read uh, Time magazine or, or Variety to find out what kind of general he is. So I imagine there's a situation when you could become General Ordierno or General McChrystal or General Petraeus. When you get into that class of this generation of generals, I always thought you were first class. So and obviously that's a terrible decision. I'm not sure if he's if he's going to say that wasn't him, because we know it was certainly Barack Obama that said it. Yeah. Uh, so we just don't well, know where that, he got that's that from. Right. And he was. Yeah. And he was also in charge of what turned out to be the disastrous withdrawal from Iraq. 
uh, pulling our troops out way too soon that led to ISIS in the first place. So, uh, you know, if you go just go back and look uh, at some of his terrible. hearings, John McCain and others, they were terrible. Okay, lastly, uh, we just found out Eric Swalwell answered one of these questions. So let's see what he said about the China issue. I'll let you respond. Uh, and I was a little surprised to read about my cooperation in that story because the story says that, you know, there was no, there was never a suspicion of wrongdoing on my part. And all I did was cooperate. And the FBI said that yesterday. But the wrongdoing here, Jim, is that at the same time this story was being leaked out is the time that I was working on impeachment on the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees. And if this is a country where people who criticize the president are going to have law enforcement information weaponized against them, that's not a country that any of us want to live in. And I, I hope it is investigated as to who leaked this information. Really? Who leaked the information? Oh How about what happened? <laughs> Yeah. Well, one, it's what happened. But two, coming from him, you know, again, was Schiff's right hand man, leaker. who was the leaker in chief uh, uh, during that entire time is just uh, laughable and jaw dropping uh, on its face of it. Uh, and, you know, it, it, look, in, in the meantime, he, he didn't address the issue. Right. He didn't address the issue of does he take China seriously? What did he do about it? Was there more than meets the eye? And it's also laughable, uh, you know, but, but a little amusing. You know, welcome to our world as Republicans and dealing with the media and dealing with leaks. You know, but finally, the, the mainstream media, you know, gives a little bit of a tough line and, and uh, you know, he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, you're so close, Congressman, to getting back into the majority. I just uh, hope you do the things necessary to make a difference over the next two years because uh, Nancy Pelosi can't steamroll you guys anymore. Because she does not have her caucus marching in lockstep. So you guys can well, have a real say and in two years take back the House and bring a semblance of sanity back to this country. Final thought? Well, and, and send her back to a refrigerator of ice cream, uh, you know, back, back to California, send her packing. But absolutely, Brian, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to fight. Uh, she, she is going to have to finally compromise. She just admitted that the reason she didn't compromise on COVID was she didn't want to give a win to President Trump. She wanted to wait Sinful. For, for the election. Sinful. While people are suffering and $138 billion is sitting there for the Paycheck Protection Program. We've tried 19 times to get that out to people. Uh, so I, you know, that's going to continue to, to hold and mm -hmm. get out. However, we took out a number of their moderates. The progressives are even more powerful and even have her um, kind of more by the tail uh, we've got to keep the Senate, Brian. I mean, that is the Alamo. That is the red line uh, for America as we know it. Absolutely. And just think of this woman with all the power that she had. You think the money would be flowing into San Francisco to pave those streets with gold and we'd be talking about favoritism? Instead, it's paved with homeless. And to the point where people are afraid to even go to the city in which he presides. That's the Speaker you, of the House. You will have California and New York turning America into what those two states look like right now between Schumer, Harris, and Pelosi, and we can't have it. Uh, I hear you, uh, Congressman. Thanks so much. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. God bless, Brian. Thanks. I'm going to be back with you. Calls one 408 And what else uh, Eric Swalwell just said about uh, on CNN. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, I, I know that I didn't. Uh, again, I, I can't talk too much about the details of the case, even though others may have violated their oath. I'm not going to violate mine. But the Axios story made it absolutely clear uh, that no information was ever uh, shared. Except, Jim, the people who did share classified information were the people who leaked this story. And to do that uh, against the critic of the president, they may think that they're going to silence me. They're not going to silence me. Uh, but what they are going to do is they're going to make others think twice when they're asked to sit down and provide defensive information uh, about people like this. I hope none of my colleagues ever find themselves in the position that I found myself in, that I found myself in uh, by having to sit down with the FBI because someone who had helped the campaign was trying to do this. But I hope every person would want to help their country just as I did. Really? You mean sit down and take a meeting with the FBI that they demanded a defensive briefing? That's patriotic? Here's what Tucker Carlson kind of broke this whole thing down last night. Give you an idea of what happened here. Cut 28. Fung's relationship with Swalwell began in 2012. Like so many Chinese spies, Fung used college as her cover. She enrolled as a student at a university in the Bay Area, and she immediately joined a number of left-wing identity politics organizations on campus. From there, she quite naturally began raising money for Democratic candidates. U.S. intelligence officials believe that Fung had a sexual relationship with Eric Swalwell. We asked Swalwell's office about that directly today. His staff replied by saying they couldn't comment on whether or not Swalwell had a sexual relationship with Fung because that information might be, quote, classified. They did not elaborate or explain what they meant by that. Hmm. I can't explain. But Tucker went on. We do know that when Fung met Swalwell, he was a little-known city councilman in the Bay Area, but he had grand political aspirations. Fung became his regular companion. She was photographed with Swalwell at political events several times. She became a financial bundler for his political campaigns. Fung apparently pulled in large amounts of money from a variety of sources to help Eric Swalwell get elected to Congress. It's not entirely clear where all of that money came from. We do know that Fung helped Swalwell secure the support of his district's Asian-American community. Political analysts have called that a critical factor in his win in 2012. That's not a new trick for Chinese intelligence services. Pretty amazing, right? So this is a story that he says he's offended at leaked out. No, he's disturbed at leaked out because it makes him look worse and worse. Why he stays in the Intelligence Committee is unbelievable. That was brought up to uh, Kevin McCarthy last night, Cut 36. But question, why is he going after the director of Intel, John Radcliffe, who recently came out and showed where China is six times larger spending and spying than Russia is, 12 times larger in Iran. But the only person attacking him is Swalwell. Now we learn why. And why by is the this way, person still there? And why is he on the Intelligence Committee? I mean, if, if anyone cared about the country and less about their party, he wouldn't be. And he suggests in his quote that it's because he's a critic of the president. Believe me, the president is not using Axios or any of his uh, uh, staffers using Axios to get at Eric Swalwell. He doesn't think about Eric Swalwell. Nobody thinks about him, except the Chinese, which I find disturbing. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Feel free to download the podcast. Should you not miss us, should you not be able to catch us live. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Carl Rove joins us. Man, there's nobody better to talk to to find out the fortunes of the Republicans in those two Senate races in Georgia. He's in control of the money and the money raising. And, man, what a strategist he is. Admiral Brett Juror, is there anybody better to talk about the state of the vaccine and the state of the illness in our country, the uh, the virus in our country? He's here. And he's saying put the kids in school. And outdoor dining is fine. Will some governor, especially the one in this state, New York, adhere to that? And by the way, I'm just getting this now. Governor Cuomo is bringing restaurants down to 25% capacity. By the way, with no assistance for service workers. Incredible. Uh, Mike Gonzalez is going to be with us. This critical race theory where basically white people are blamed for everything uh, and how it's put into curriculum and in class, how it's doing damage to our country. Mike Gonzalez will be with us shortly. And I'll try to squeeze in some calls there. Uh, and uh, and of course we're t- we're following the other breaking news, including uh, including the news about today. We have Anthony Fauci doing more events. He's got something at, uh, going on right now at Bloomberg. He's guys always on stage or on camera. I just don't get it. Uh, we're also seeing. Uh, the mayor de Blasio is starting his press conference right now. Uh, he's got to get these kids back in school. Don't no more press conferences. Just action plans. It's big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A Chinese intelligence agent, Christine Fung, became a force within the Democratic Party of California. She cultivated a number of Democratic office holders. Fung also began a relationship with a man called Eric Swalwell. Swalwell sits on the House Intelligence Committee. He is privy to this country's most closely held secrets. And there you go. Tucker Carlson last night exposing this story brought forward by Axios. The congressman who led the cries of Trump and Russia said basically that the president sold his soul to Vladimir Putin was actually being targeted and infiltrated by a would-be college student from China who they will not confirm or deny he had a relationship with. They targeted a bunch of Democrats and broke through in California. All Democrats, we will discuss it. And what, what the explanation is, I don't get. So we tell you, Joe Biden, that the biggest problem will be China facing an administration if you're lucky enough to be president. And you name, as ambassador to China, a guy that really will be tough. He spent his formative years as mayor of South Bend, Mayor Pete. Look out, China. Number two. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. The gold standard vaccine has been done in less than nine months. Uh, There you go. The president of the United States, I have never seen him so pumped up. Uh, He is talking about the vaccine. They told him it wouldn't get done. Uh, The last time they had a vaccine took four years. This took nine months. But at least we have a legitimate weapon now, even though the virus is surging. And small businesses shut down, finally got some aid from a California judge that said there is no science behind this shutdown. Because when they were forced to pony up the facts, they had nothing. That's great news eventually for gyms and restaurants. Number one. I'm afraid that Texas case falls in that category of that dog won't hunt. I mean, I don't see how that's going to be successful, particularly after this loss. So I think that it does not look very promising. 
Uh, so far, Jonathan Turley uh, looking at the blizzard of lawsuits that fell short about 50 for the president of the United States. Now Texas is suing other states and asking the Supreme Court to take it. Some call it a Hail Mary pass. Uh, possibly, I think you're right. But let's talk about the, uh, the virus if we can. Because it looks as though Governor Cuomo is set to crack down on Long Island as well as New York City because the virus is going up. Does he understand that we've heard from experts and the lockdowns don't work from people at the WHO that you're critical of the president from backing out of from people who at the the president's virus task force, Admiral Giroir, it doesn't work and getting kids back in school, even though he allowed the mayor to do so. In Long Island, 1,164 new cases in Suffolk, 863 in Nassau. So that means the daily positivity rate is getting closer to him shutting down other small businesses. Terrible governors, full of power, unable to do anything except make their one move, shut down and deny, and take liquor license for anyone that wants to fight back. Here's the president. Very, it was, I was on with Dana yesterday around 2 o'clock. And they were telling me in my ear and letting me hear what Joe Biden was saying at the same time. So he is painting doom and gloom and saying it's going to be a dark winter. And there's going to be challenges this winter. But my goodness, if he becomes your president, get ready for that. Doom and gloom. They say that if he's, he's going to staff the White House with a skeleton crew, he's 78 years old, obviously with pre-existing conditions. And he says he wants 100, 100 straight days of mask. We're already doing it. And he wants uh, 100 days of washing your hands. We're already completing it. So he wants 100 days of sacrifice. We cannot shut down the economy again. At least he agrees we should go back uh, We should go back to schools. We agree on that. But he doesn't want to give liability insurance to have companies bring their people back. Here's the president yesterday. Cut 14. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. Before Operation Warp Speed, the typical time frame for development and approval, as you know, uh, could be infinity. And we were very, very happy that uh, we were able to get things done at a level that nobody has ever seen before. The gold standard vaccine has been done in less than nine months. Okay. And I tell you, he was reading copy, not from the prompter. I think that's part of it. The other thing is he couldn't wait to say this. This is an unbelievable day, and it's an American company combined with a German company, and it's the U.K. who's their version of an FDA that green-lighted it, and a 90-year-old got the vaccine first. The way we understand it, when it comes to the Pfizer vaccine, two defense officials with the Pentagon's draft list said the two officials likely to receive the vaccine first are Christopher Miller, Secretary of Defense, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. The Pentagon didn't respond to confirm this. The list says it's divided into three phases, healthcare providers, healthcare support, emergency services, and public safety support, armed forces retirement, some of those residents there, inpatient healthcare and support personnel are the next level as our National Guard. Next, critical nation capabilities, special operations command, senior leaders, elite military, and cyber command. I have nothing against that. Florida said yesterday, I was listening to Governor DeSantis, said that they believe they can get all their seniors done in a week. In a week. Go all to the senior center. That includes the villages. They are uh, usually retired over there, formed their own little town. Get them done. And then you'll see things happening. But what we get from President Trump and people get angry is he's trying to say, well, we got to move forward. We've got to be inspirational. What you get from Joe Biden and get used to it if he becomes president is this. Cut 16. It's not a secret how to do it. 
masking, vaccinations, opening schools. These are the three key goals for my first 100 days. But we'll still have much to do in the year ahead. And sadly, much difficulty as well. 17. My first 100 days is going to require, I'm going to ask for a masking plan. Everyone for the first 100 days of my administration to wear a mask. It will start with my signing an order on day one to require masks where I can under the law, like federal buildings, interstate travel on planes, trains and buses. We're going to require masks wherever possible. Okay, by the way, he said nothing. They're on trains. They're on planes. Private sector, make sure of that. They're on buses. Private sector, make sure of that. I'm not wearing it in my house. I'm not wearing it when I'm running outside. It's not going to happen. If I'm on an empty street, I'm not wearing it. Tough. And no one, you go ahead and arrest me because I tell you, law enforcement is not all in on this. They're focusing maybe on the looting. So when we come back, what about this whole critical race theory? What is it and why we should fear it? Michael Gonzalez, senior fellow at the Heritage Institute, will be joining us next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fact is that there is racial insensitivity. People have to be made aware of what other people feel like, what insults them, what is demeaning to them. It's important that people know they don't want to. Many people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but it's, it makes a big difference. It makes a gigantic difference in the way a child is able to grow up and have a, self, a sense of self-esteem. It's a little bit like how this guy and, and his friends look down on so many people. They look down their nose on people like Irish Catholics like me and grew up in Scranton. They look down on people who don't have money. They look down on people who are of a different faith. They look down on people who are a different color. He doesn't even know what he's talking about, and that guy is the president of the United States, yet he, yet he might have won the election. Unbelievable. But he is bringing up something that's, that's happening in society, and it's called critical race theory. It's not new to the author of The Plot to Change America, How Identity Politics is Dividing the Land of the Free. He is Michael Gonzalez, and he writes a senior, uh, he's a senior fellow at the Heritage Institute's Douglas and Sarah Allison Center for Foreign Policy. Mike, welcome. Hi, so great to be on with you. How are you? Good. Mike, first off, was Joe Biden describing critical race theory? No, he he was saying sensitivity training, and that it's one thing that critical race theory is not as sensitive. It is appalling. It tells you, it tells kids that hard work or punctuality or love of the written word or, 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 or the use of reason, rationality are white things. This is a form of child abuse. It should, no one should be, especially, especially non-white children, should hear these hateful uh, disciplines, these hateful uh, messages. Uh, that everything that leads to success in life is, is a product of the white race. This is, first of all, patently untrue, false, and, and the fact that it's being taught and being described by Biden and other politicians as sensitivity training is, 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 is perplexing. Because it's not. You said it started in this country in 1992, but it emanates really from 1937. This is Marxist. 
This is this is old Marxism origin. This begins well critical race theory, which is everywhere today in the ballpark everywhere. Begins with critical legal theory, which begins with critical theory. And critical theory, as you said, begins in a paper by the Frankfurt School uh, director uh, Max Horkheimer. The paper is written in 1937, sometimes called the called the School's Manifesto. It was called Traditional and Critical Theory, and yes, as you said, it's Marxist. It's completely Marxist in origin. The, the, the Frankfurt School was going to be called the Institute for Marxism, and then they they, they thought that it would change. They would they, they, they did not want to. It would, more, it would be more prudent not to display the Marxism so openly. The the, the, the Frankfurt School patented itself after the the, the Marx uh, Engels Institute in in, in Moscow, um, and, and it was completely what critical theory is is, is a a complete cease this unremitting attack on society, on all norms, on all traditions, in order to tear them down, which is what critical race theory does today, except it does it through the prism of race. Right. Uh, and how is this different? We used to be a melting pot. I don't care where you're from, just move in the same direction. We're America. That is, this is the opposite of the melting pot. This is the unmelting of the pot. That's exactly the book that I wrote, uh, you know, how the plot to change America, because it is it is meant to change America, to transform America. Listen, we've had immigrants come in here since the 1670s, right? German immigrants and then the Scots-Irish. Then we had a huge wave in the 1850s and then a, another huge wave with Ellis Island. Nobody thought no, – nobody in their right mind – actually, some people did think it, but nobody in their right mind – thought of taking the Sicilians and the East European Jews and the Poles and the Armenians and the Syrians and, 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 and the Hungarians that were coming in and turning them into minorities, into minorities uh, that, that had a sense of victimhood and who, who deserved compensatory justice because the country had taken them in. Nobody, because that is a, a that's suicidal. That's committing national suicide. And yet, this is what we're doing now with the new wave of immigrants. But but we have to obviously, if we're going to be a country that that takes an immigrant as we are, because we're such a bad country, right? We're such a racist country that there's a very long line of people out the door waiting to get in. So. We have to stop doing this to ourselves. We have to stop reimagining the country as a confederacy of categories right. of, the, of the victims. So, Mike, that's why we're getting a generation who wants to pull down our statues. That's why we're getting a generation who thinks we have to apologize for the country. That's why we get a series that critically acclaimed from The New York Times that says we're about slavery in 1619, not about freedom in 1776. Does that all play into this? Of course. No, that is— Completely all of this emanates from critical race theory. This, this very uh, mendacious uh, project by the New York Times, which, which it shows you what they want to do because it's not just a – who cares what the readers of the New York Times read, right? But it is a curriculum that is now in 4,500 classrooms across the country, and they teach that everything is about race. Not everything is about race. Some things are about race. There are racists in this country, and in, in many, it, it, thank God that that in, in many areas of life they cannot practice racism. There are statutes and laws that need to be enforced, but not everything is about races. You know, we have relationships, we have conversations, we have friendships, we have you know people working teams at yep. at, at, at work that have nothing to do with race. I would think so, unless you want to keep bringing it up into everything and being perpetually offended. But you also talk about celebrities in Hollywood and how they're being used or playing into this. In what way? Well, they, they buy into this. One of, the, one of the, 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 the best things the left has done for itself is to take over the entertainment industry, the long march through the institutions. 
it, it, in fact, if you're not a leftist in Hollywood now, you either have to hide yourself or, or not, you know, to tell anybody that you are conservative. You know, you have the Friends of Abe group. I had lunch with them years ago in L.A., and everything was ultra secretive because they did not want their careers to be terminated. So. I, a lot of people in, in, in the entertainment industry now see their job as indoctrinating people into these things, into the belief that we're institutionally, structurally, and systemically racist. And why is that? Because what they aim to do is to change our institutions as structures and all as A system is just a, a fancy word for the way everything works. This is why I wrote my book. And the reason I call it The Plot to Change America is not because they have meetings in Madison or Cambridge, Massachusetts every Thursday night and people walk into basements. It's because every, all, these, all the people who promote this are, are singing from the same hymn, singing from the same theory. Uh, if you look at the schools of ed, teachers' colleges, the, 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 the textbook that is used most is Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. That is a, a, a work of critical theory. So let me ask you, how do you, how do you, I see the problem, uh, we see the results, how do we begin to change it? Well, first of all, we start calling it out for what it is. We start exposing this, we start to say this is not a grassroots, grassroots push for acclaim or recognition or respect. This is all enforced by the grass stops, this is enforced by ideologues, by activists, on people who don't want it. Right, and they want to do it for a reason. They have a, this is a part of a political project. But we start openly. We don't buy into their vocabulary anymore. We don't buy into their ideas. We're, we're courageous and open about it. Uh, we write books about it, like the Plot to Change America. We, we go on radio interviews. But then you have to get the government out of the business of creating categories, categories like, like the Hispanic category, the Asian American category, which is created by the Office of Management and Budget in 1977. At the, at the because the, the, the ideologues and the, and the activists and the leftists insisted on it and, and, and hounded the, the bureaucracy until they did it. They know what they're doing. So we need to call that out. And then we need to, to really look at our universities. Why are state legislatures paying for state colleges that are really madrasas that are teaching anti-American theory? Yeah, and we got to do it state by state is what you're saying. Mike, we're just scratching the surface. You wrote a lot of great stuff on this, very detailed, as well as your book, The Pot to Change America. Uh, we got to take this in. Uh, got more people hating our history. Uh, Mike thank Gonzalez, you. thank you. Thanks a lot for having me on. You got it. I'll have you back. Carl Rove is next inside that Senate race. And what is and what about the president's chances of getting a win at the Supreme Court with this Texas suit? We'll discuss it. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You've got a liberal man spending millions of dollars to help uh, uh, election officials at the state level run an election. Uh, we need to stop that. Can you imagine if, you know, some conservative did this and there was a screwed up election where a Democrat came out on the short end, they'd be all over this. So the bottom line here is Fulton County is a disaster. And, and the point you made is the, the most important point. If we don't change Georgia law before the Senate runoffs in January the 5th, the same thing's gonna happen to the senators that happened to President Trump. It's insane for Georgia Republican leaders not to have a special session to fix this before it's too late. 
But what if there isn't? Uh, are both senators, Republican senators, going to lose in what was traditionally a red state? Carl Rove is uh, former deputy chief of staff and senior advisor to President George W. Bush, got him elected twice, uh, best-selling author, and also playing a key role, a key fundraiser for both these Senate candidates for Republicans in Georgia. Carl, you heard this before. You've heard uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. You might have spoken to him off camera, off mic. What if they do you want the legislation to make a change and will they? Well, look, we're in the election. Uh, People are voting by mail. Starting on Monday, they will vote in person. I think it would be very problematic uh, for the legislature to meet and change the rules once the election has started. If there were changes that needed to be made, they needed to be made before, you know, before we got into the election contest. So, you know, the Constitution requires that and the Supreme Court requires that elections be run according to the rules that are in place before the election. And I think it would be a very thorny constitutional question to come in and have a bunch of changes made now while we're literally voting. I think there are two things. There are two alternatives. One is to uh, ask for guidance from the State Board of Elections to make certain that all the rules are the same for everybody. This is, you know, this is a cleric. This is the State Board of Elections saying we want to make clear that you understand what the state law requires you to do. For example, it requires you to match signatures against the signature on the registration card, not the the, the uh, signature on the application for a mail-in ballot. Because if you got a fraudulent signature on the application for the mail-in ballot, you you can duplicate that fraudulent fraudulent signature on the on the ballot by have, say, having the same person who committed the fraud in the first place sign the ballot. So that's one answer. The second answer is when get turn out enough votes that they can't steal it. Remember, in the November 3rd elections, David Perdue had 88,000 more votes than did John Ossoff. And the combined Republican total in a 21-person primary, jungle primary with Democrats, Republicans, Green, Libertarian, and Independents running, the Republicans got 44,000 votes more than did the Democrats. Uh, the combined Democrat total. So the object is to turn out the maximum number of votes. So no matter what happens, uh, you, you, you can win. And third, I, I, I left out one thing. Make certain that you take advantage of every single piece of what the law allows you to do in order to make certain that it's fair. For example, there are 800 boxes where people can drop in mail-in ballots. That footage is, of net, is now available. The Republicans have worked with the State Board of Election to get relatively real-time access to all that footage. Before it took five or six weeks, now it takes a matter of a day or so. Review all that footage. If anything is funky going on at those boxes, i.e. the camera went down or somebody shows up with a box of ballots, it's illegal to harvest ballots in, in Georgia and dumps them into the end of the box – then make certain that that box's contents at that time are sequestered and dealt with uh, seriously. And if somebody is harvesting ballots, identify them and turn them over to the to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and the Attorney General to prosecute. Have you found it difficult dealing with the Secretary of State or the governor? Frankly, I, I, I haven't dealt with him, but my understanding is from the lawyers that are dealing with both the Secretary of State and the State Board of Elections, which the Secretary of State appoints, is that they're finding it easy to work with. It's just that, you know, look, you, you have to work these issues. You know, the idea of, 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 uh, of, of, of waiting until after the election is over in order to resolve these problems is problematic. you got to work the problems as you know that there are going to be problems. You saw yesterday that the RNC and the Georgia Republican Party filed a lawsuit regarding one particular issue. Expect more lawsuits to be filed this week. Not they're, they're, It's not that they are – uh, 
you know, antagonistic towards the State Board of Election or the Secretary of State. But sometimes in order to have this thing confirmed uh, at a high degree of certainty and make it legally binding on all 159 counties in the state, you want to go to court. Uh, come to an agreement and have that agreement codified uh, under the authority of a judge. And uh, that's what uh, the Republicans are attempting to do on some of these issues that bear on the mail-in balloting, the early voting, and the election day term. And Ron McDaniel basically said, I was going to roll the sound but basically said everything he said, we have to allow observers to observe. We have to watch how the ballots are separated. You have to get people in there, bodies in there. And these new voters, they got to see if they're alive or not. I mean, there are some famous people I was talking to um, some people here, Bill Crane, who from WSB, and he was saying some famous people got ballots who died two or three years ago. And, yeah. and you have the Secretary of State's son, who sadly passed away two years ago. A ballot arrived at their house. Obviously, there's some problems. If you guys aren't vigilant, you could lose for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I don't think the, the, that the Secretary of State's son got a ballot, but he got he got, got a ballot. He got a ballot application sent to him by one of these third party groups. In fact, I, I was talking with a fellow in Little Rock, Arkansas, who has a uh, who has a friend who went to California to a school in California and now lives in New York and is from Arkansas and has a sister living in Atlanta and and she got in New York a uh, a, 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 a a ballot request form. From one of these third-party groups organized by uh, by uh, Stacey Abrams, she, she she doesn't even she's not even she's not registered to vote in, in in Georgia. She doesn't live in Georgia. She has a Los Angeles area code on her on her phone because that's where she went to school, and she lives in New York, and her and her family's home is in Arkansas. And what the hell is she doing? Getting what is this group doing? Sending an application for a mail-in ballot to somebody at an Atlanta address who lives in New York. Well, number one, do you have observers set? Do we agree on where they're going to stand? Number two, do you have somebody verifying, cross-checking this? Because the way oh, I understand yeah, it, it's there. So you, have you already put forces there? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, look, look, we will have people at all of the uh, at all the receiving stages. That's part of what the, the, the actions this week are designed to absolutely guarantee us the authority to do so that nobody can argue with it. Uh, you know, the, the first 5,135 voter registrations – that were received as of a week ago for last Friday are, are already in a review. Uh, the other roughly, we think, 20,000 registrations that are ultimately going to show up, uh, meaning an additional 15,000, 15 to 20,000 after that first 5,135 are being received now and are going into a, a, a review. And I, let me just say, if, if there is a Democrat operative, you know, somebody who worked in a campaign in, you know, South Carolina for Jaime Harrison, who's now decided to come down and work for Ossoff or Warnock and uh, register to vote in acute in acute stunt, uh, we'll find them. And uh, the, this is a felony. You have to you can register and to vote in Georgia and you can do so using your South Carolina or your New York uh, 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 driver's license. But you have to have the intention to become a permanent resident. So that's why Andrew Yang, you know, Tom Friedman of The New York Times wrote this column encouraging people to register to vote and totally irresponsible to to vote. totally irresponsible encouraging people to commit a felony and andrew yang democratic candidate for president says i'm going to do that and the attorney general chris carr said you do that mr yang and i will slap you so fast with a felony charge you can't believe it and and we're going to have to make some examples of people who do that now thank you know let's be frank we also had apparently a republican activist in panama city bay county 
uh, Florida, who said, let's all go do this. Well, that's a felony as well. And and if he attempts to do it, I'm sure he's been now dissuaded because we're deadly serious about this. The people who are trying to violate the law by phoning up a voter registration after November 3rd in order to vote on January 5th, you know, and then return to their home and, you know, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, or, you know, mm-hmm. New York City, they're, they're, we're going to we're, we're making extensive efforts to find them and, and uh, put right. them in uh, the spotlight. So when you look at the president's series of lawsuits and then you see Texas filing so, so, uh, lawsuits against four states, they're now without merit. Your problem is, and like many, it's happening now. It didn't happen before. Correct. No, look, look. Yeah, the president been ill served by his lawyers. With all due respect, I mean, we saw that with Sidney Powell, who alleges a conspiracy that began in, uh, by Hugo Chavez and and uh, the in Venezuela in you know in 2004. I mean, you know, the, 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 and these lawsuits they're too little, too late. I mean, they are. You know, they, they, they if they had problems with the election, and I did. I, I you and I've talked about this. Yep. I thought it was terrible that the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court took upon itself to violate the black letter law of that of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania by saying, oh, w- the law says that you have to have your ballot in by close of business on Election Day. We're going to we're going to extend that to several days. Well, ultimately, that that was that case was one. Those n- ballots, which were few in number, were, were set aside and not counted. But but the, the, why wasn't the, the Trump campaign legal team out there jumping on these things? As they happen, or better yet, think ahead I know. and and make certain that you get confirmation in in, in front of a judge that that uh, that these procedures are going to be followed to the letter of the law when you have evidence that they haven't been pa- followed in in past elections in say Fulton County or DeKalb County or Cobb County in Georgia. Carl, we talk for two hours, but you'd be bored of me. Uh, you're really kind of bored of I'm me. Never now. bored with you, my friend. Never <laughs> bored, particularly well, when I'm reading one of your books. Never bored when I'm reading one of your books. When, <laughs> when I'm when's not the there. Next one? Uh, next, when's the next one? In the fall, I'm going to announce it with you, Carl, uh, when, when you got finally get you in studio again. There we go. All right. Excellent. He doesn't take a day off. Carl Rove, working hard for the Republican Party in Georgia. Thanks, Carl. You bet. All right. Uh, when we come back, we have our privilege to bring in Admiral uh, Brett Churor, and he is going to be telling us the latest uh, with the vaccine. Also, with this court case in Los Angeles that says you can eat outdoors. No stat says you can't eat outdoors. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need to know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. Before Operation Warp Speed, the typical time frame for development and approval, as you know, uh, could be infinity. And we were very, very happy that uh, we were able to get things done at a level that nobody has ever seen before. The gold standard vaccine has been done in less than nine months. And wow, it's amazing. I never saw the president as pumped up as he was yesterday. It's almost since his election win. Uh, you could tell he was waiting for this moment, as was Admiral Brett uh, Giroir. Uh The admiral's with us right now. 
and you know he is uh, running the whole task force and has not slept in about a year. Admiral, welcome. It's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Admiral, so far we have a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old and some people, some senior uh, British citizens uh, getting shots. When do you think we'll get them? So I am uh, very excited about the results that we saw with the Pfizer vaccine that were published for everyone to see yesterday. Um, as you know, uh, the FDA will be considering uh, this uh, on on Thursday. That's uh, tomorrow, I think, is I'm counting my days right. So tomorrow the uh, advisory committee will meet and the FDA will make a decision very shortly after that. And as General Perna and uh, Monsef Salawi said, uh, we will be getting from that authorization, getting doses into people's arms within 48 to 96 hours. So we are right on the cusp of, of, of beginning of the ending of this pandemic. And right behind it is Moderna. Is it a week behind? I mean, is, did the FDA tell you when they're looking at the Moderna one? Yes, it's exactly one week behind. Uh, the EUA is in. Uh, they're not doing this in sequence. They have uh, literally hundreds of people reviewing the data. It is very similar technology to the Pfizer uh, technology, um, and we know the top-line data, which they've reported, is, is equally impressive. Uh, efficacy rates in the mid-90s. Uh, it works across the age spectrum, which is just fantastic, right, because some of our vaccines don't work very well in the elderly because of their immune systems, but these seem to work extremely well, even in the elderly. So um, our plans are by the end of February to have vaccinated uh, between 75 and 100 million Americans, starting with 20 million Americans this month. It is absolutely astounding that this has been achieved uh, by mobilization of the U.S. under the leadership of the president, um, cutting through red tape, investing, right. not cutting any safety corners, but cutting those financial quarters to make it work. Admiral, uh, let's, let's think about this. So we need that second shot. So we have three weeks between shots, right? When you say I'm vaccinated, do you still keep me? Am I still a priority? If you get me once, am I a priority second? Yes, you are. Uh, the regimen is to get two shots, and we want everyone to get their two shots. Now, we do know that protection starts pretty early after the first shot, but it's not going to be uh, complete, uh, likely not going to be as long-lasting. So the regimen that we have right now is two shots. The Janssen vaccine from Johnson & Johnson, uh, which we would expect an EUA to be um, at least submitted for consideration in January. That's a one-shot uh, vaccine. But nobody should wait. We don't know what the results of those are yet. It's not authorized. Pfizer and Moderna, two shots, highly effective, protecting all age groups, really every subgroup that was tested. Am I going to have to go to my doctor, or can I go to CVS or Rite Aid or Walgreens? Um, well, it depends what group you're in, uh, but we certainly, uh, and it depends on the state, but we do expect uh, there to be literally thousands of places to get shots. I get all my shots at, at uh, retail pharmacies, and we certainly would expect that they would be a primary way to get vaccinated uh, when we start vaccinating hundreds of millions of people. We know that they're doing all the uh, nursing homes now. 99% of nursing homes are using the president and the secretary's plan uh, for Walgreens and CVS to come in and vaccinate the nursing home. So uh, they're on the tip of the spear. They were there at the White House yesterday. And yes, uh, thank God for those retailers. They do so much good in this pandemic. AstraZeneca only ha has a vaccine, but they say it's only 70% effective, according to a study. Why would I get that if I could get 90 to 95? 
Well, um, obviously, um, you know, six months yeah. six months ago, if we would have said 70 percent, we would have been really thrilled with that. Um, we haven't seen the data for AstraZeneca, so, uh, you know, I, I, it would be a little bit premature, but obviously mm-hmm. we would want uh, the 95 percent right. effective vaccine. But, you know, AstraZeneca will have a very uh, minimal storage kinds of requirements, so it could be used in certain settings, particularly in other countries. But it might be just fine. It might be perfect for right. some subgroups and not in others. We just have to see the data. Admiral, uh, a lot of small businesses are going under unnecessarily, I think. Outdoor dining being destroyed, in California especially. A judge ruled that there's no data that shows that outdoor dining should be banned. Where does the admiral think? What do you think? Well, um, I, I sort of stepped into this a couple of days ago. I, I didn't really know about the lawsuits, but, you know, the data are, are, are clear that, you know, outdoor dining with appropriate separation is not a risk factor. Uh, same thing with outdoor bars with appropriate separation. I even went back to the CDC and said, has there been any outbreaks traced to outdoor dining with appropriate separation? They said, no, they don't have it. So this is one of those overreactions. You know, people people close the schools and keep other stuff open. Um, the science says you can keep the schools open, and the kids need that to be physically in school. Um, in indoor dining and indoor bars crowded, yes, we have to limit that. The science does say this, but don't go crazy. I mean, outdoor dining, if people, if you take away everyone's privileges, they're not going to believe anything you say, particularly if you're not science-based, and they're going to react to that. If you can't do right. anything, you're going to have a house party, and it's going to be even worse. So well, let's be reasonable, follow the science. Admiral Girard, I really appreciate everything you've done, your communication, your calm under pressure, and I hope the next step is as successful as this one. You deserve it. Uh, thanks, Admiral. Thanks for having me on. Bye you now. Got it. Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com or to any of my books. I'll sign it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. The same Martha, host of The Story, just did a pre- and post-game on those Sunday night debates and Saturday with the president's speech. Uh, So, uh, And, of course, she wrote Unknown Valor. This is the week of December 7th, where it was 79 years ago where uh, we were bombed on December 7th. Is that mad? Uh, That math adds up, right? Right? Yeah, that's right. Next year will be 80 years. That's right. Uh, pretty amazing. So she was able to talk about that. She's become such an expert on World War II because her relatives fought in there, and she did the great book. Uh, meanwhile, we're, we're following a couple of things. We're getting closer and closer to a total lockdown in New York City, even though they don't use it because it's a politically radioactive term. Uh, the mayor's meeting. We're trying to get kids back in school. And on this hour, on this show, I'm not sure what hour you take at what time, but on this show, we just talked to Admiral Giroir. He's in charge of the Coronavirus Task Force. He just said... We should not be stopping indoor, outdoor dining and just limit indoor dining. Meanwhile, 500,000 restaurants are going out of business. Also, can I add this? Health clubs are not being traced back for this virus. Can we please open up these health clubs everywhere? Also, we're thrilled to uh, be on Talk Radio 1470, KLCL in Lake Charles, Louisiana. We debuted today all three hours of the show. Fantastic. 
uh, we're uh, we're honored and uh, hope you love it. And we have Steve Scalise on a lot. We just had Cassidy on your senator, and we always have. We actually had Senator Kennedy on too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A Chinese intelligence agent, Christine Fung, became a force within the Democratic Party of California. She cultivated a number of Democratic office holders. Fung also began a relationship with a man called Eric Swalwell. Swalwell sits on the House Intelligence Committee. He is privy to this country's most closely held secrets. That is Tucker Carlson moving forward with a story that Axios has been working on for over a year. Hardly a right-wing newsletter. I love it, by the way. Big fan. But Axios did an investigation. It turns out that China is trying to target uh, up-and-coming Democratic lawmakers, and they got Eric Swalwell to the point where they had the FBI had to intervene. Yes, the number one critic of the president, who he says is a stooge of Vladimir Putin, and now claims the president's behind all this. No, you've been infiltrated. What other intelligence operation did you actually reveal to her who pretended to be a student? We're going to talk about all this. Number two. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. The gold standard vaccine has been done in less than nine months. Uh, there you go. The vaccine is here. The virus surges. We don't like that combination, but I do love that help is on the way. The fight in California to keep small businesses open got a big, big win. If not, if nothing else, symbolic that you'll show that's a canary in the coal mine. The pushback in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, California, and New York that says outdoor dining is not a problem. And there's no data to support these lockdowns from these uh, maniacal governors. And now we got to get gyms and restaurants open. Number one. I'm afraid that Texas case falls in that category of that dog won't hunt. I mean, I don't see how that's going to be successful, particularly after this loss. So I think that it does not look very promising. Uh, That is Jonathan Turley. Uh, President Trump files a blizzard of lawsuits and falls short on all 50. But the fight is not over as Texas sues four separate states for throwing. It's really a Hail Mary pass for the Trump team. We'll see. In each one of it, there's merit to these cases. So let's talk about that, and let's talk about these cases. I don't mean to, I know you don't have a pen to jot this down and keep track, and it does get it does get uh, bewildering. But here are some of the legal battles. They had hoped to get Pennsylvania into the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said no. They will not take the case. It's 50 challenges in five weeks. They won't take the case. The mail-in ballots is one issue. Half the absentee ballots with the signature, wrong signature, is another issue. Also, the, uh, the poll watching being shut out, these are all legitimate issues. But the courts are deciding, and some of them are Trump judges, that it doesn't rise to let's overturn this election session. In 2016, there were 233,000 mail-in ballots to Pennsylvania. What bothers the president and bothers me is now there's 2.5 million. And they loosened up the standards to the point where many people question if these people are legitimate and that that's what the president wanted to examine or tossed out. That did not work. So what Texas is doing, led by their attorney general, they are challenging states of Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. And they're saying these numbers don't add up. The non-signature verification is not right. They didn't go through it the right way. So we are suing on behalf of these other states, on behalf of the president, who just wants the truth to come out. Here's the Texas Attorney General cut for. 
in almost all those cases that we have, we have states that, that allowed mail-in ballots in cases they were not supposed to. They allowed for non-signature verification, which is really important. So when you, when you request a mail-in ballot, you have to sign for that, for that application, and then they'll verify when you send your ballot in on a sleeve of the ballot. Usually they'll verify that signature to ensure that those two signatures match. Well, if you just waive those requirements, you have no way to go back and verify that the person that right. requested And what he's saying is not wrong. Hey, Democrats listening right now, moderates, Trump supporters who think it's over, he's, he's not saying anything wrong. What the president's doing, and it's for the country, he wants to win and he, and he thinks he did win. And I, I can't really fight him on this because there are many things that show the president did so much better than he ever thought but lost. And the Republicans did so much better than ever thought and won state houses, House and Senate, it looks like, hopefully. But he can't get anywhere because of the situation. They didn't do this ahead of time. They didn't fight legally ahead of time. So they wanted Pennsylvania to take this case and Ted Cruz to try the case. But they said no. Mike Kelly led the charge, the congressman from Pennsylvania, cut six. The Supreme Court decided that they would not give us a a temporary injunctive relief on, on what was taking place where the states actually appoint their electors. So the setback today is that we were not granted a temporary injunctive relief. It does not mean that our lawsuit does not go forward. It means that the temporary injunction relief, that part has been taken away, and it's going to allow the state to move forward with appointing their electors. But by right, no so, way is this over. Okay, it's not over. But by December 14th, when they lock in the election results for the electors, I think it is. I mean, some people might push it, but I think it is. They need some victories. Eric Erickson talked about Georgia, which they got to straighten out. I would think we all agree on this, even Democrats, before January 5th. Democrats weren't happy with the Stacey Abrams governor race, were they? Nobody was happy, happy with the new changes as it went to the, uh, the primaries in the spring, were you? Eric Erickson, WSB, cut eight. With the drop boxes, that potentially could change. I, I, I'm not sure of the likelihood of it changing, though. It, it was actually widely agreed to by all the parties, and no one fought it before the initial November election. Uh, the other one is, is actually the case I'm keeping my eye on, and, and this is actually rather explosive. If the claims are true, it's basically a reset of the whole election in Georgia. Now, this wouldn't impact Joe Biden's uh, pre- being president-elect next Electoral College, because he still have over 270 votes, but it would probably force a complete redo of the November election in Georgia. The odds of it passing are unlikely. Some of the lawyers I've talked to have said it looks like the plaintiffs are using old data, not the current data, to make their case. Uh, but it, it look, they filed it, and it actually is a credible allegation. This is the first time the president's lawyers anywhere in the nation have actually filed a lawsuit in court with copious documentation. So... He's not being served by a legal team who has their backs against the wall to pick up the pace, but a lot of times you leave things uh, in the locker room and maybe don't cross your T's and dot your I's. Uh, In Nevada, the Supreme Court denied President Trump's appeal of an election contest lawsuit. So I can go on. It's not – he has not gotten traction yet. The runoff matters. Everyone's dug in for the runoff. We had Carl Rove at an earlier hour say the president's not being well served by his legal team. It doesn't help that Rudy Giuliani's in the hospital getting remdesivir, trying to get off uh, and back out in action at the age of 74. And he's reading the legal charge. Uh, And Ted Cruz wanted to work, but he stays on the sideline. So I got to tell you something else that matters a lot, and that is these small businesses. You know, the numbers are, are stunning. And they are noteworthy because it affects everyone. Restaurants, 10,000 restaurants closed in three months amid this freefall. 500,000 right now across the country, and we're national, are at risk. 
100,000 already closed. Why? Now we're finding out unnecessarily why. Because the CDC says you can have outdoor dining, even limited indoor dining. And they keep on having these governors in New York, in Michigan especially, and, and in California. Shut it all down. And you saw the people stand up and, and shout out and say it's not okay. Now we have a lawsuit that was brought to in front of, in California, in Los Angeles, Judge James Chalafet at the Los Angeles Superior Court. And he says the restaurant closure order is an abuse of the department's emergency powers and is not grounded on science, evidence, or logic. So they told the state, come up with the science. Right now, the science says they should be open. But we want the state to disabuse us of this fact. And guess what happened? They couldn't because they can't because there is none. Mark Gergos, yeah, the famous attorney. He's involved in this case, representing the owner of engine company number 28. I assume it's a restaurant. Cut 22. We filed a lawsuit. We got to court. The judge gave the county not one, not two, but three chances to prevent, uh, present evidence. They couldn't present anything. And today was three hours of them trying to browbeat the judge into upholding this ban, which he didn't do. And it was an amazing, amazing um, reveal of the fact that the county has absolutely no evidence. Do you believe this? The county and the state have no evidence. They say they still have to be locked down through Christmas. You've got to expedite this lawsuit up to the state and have Gavin Newsom put on some extra jail, find himself into a courtroom, and explain why he's destroying these livelihoods while he eats out on the most expensive restaurant in the country. You look at all this. Admiral Girard told us you can get the kids in school, it's safer. They told us we can eat indoors, but outdoors for sure, indoors limited. Alex Berenson, New York Times reporter, he's been beside himself with Fauci and company and their lack of respect for human life, only focusing on the virus and the safety, locking up healthy people for the first time in history. Cut 27. We are punishing people. And, and you know, there's no, as you said, everybody wants to be out. It's, it's Christmas. It's the holiday season. People go out with their friends. They go out with their families. And half the country is too terrified to leave its homes. And they want to punish the other half that actually understand the science here and are not going to be terrified of an illness that primarily hurts the extremely elderly and extremely sick. Okay, that does not mean we shouldn't try to protect those people. But to say that the rest of us have to stay inside and be afraid and try to terrify us is wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah. And that was with Martha last night, who will be our guest at the bottom of the hour. one 408 Back in a moment, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. To our small business owners, I want you to know, I understand the incredible sacrifices that you've made this year in order for us to help save people's lives. And I appreciate you, but there is more work we need to do to protect one another. 
That is Governor Whitmer, who I hope never to hear from again, uh, but she keeps talking and keeps locking down and destroying her state, but yet somehow the president didn't win that state. I don't get it. Chris Tarwell joins us, uh, political editor of Fox News, uh, signed up for his halftime report. It makes him happy. Uh, Chris, we don't. His da- her data is different than Admiral Girard's data. Should, is that a problem? I mean, I'm, I don't know what the differences are. I'm not familiar with that. But uh, she's got jurisdiction, uh, so I guess she can use whatever data she wants. Here's what the admiral said to us a short time ago. You know, the data are, are, are clear that, you know, outdoor dining with appropriate separation is not a risk factor. Uh, same thing with outdoor bars with appropriate separation. I even went back to the CDC and said, has there been any outbreaks traced to outdoor dining with appropriate separation? They said, no, they don't have it. So this is one of those overreactions. You know, people people close the schools and keep other stuff open. Um, the science says you can keep the schools open, and the kids need that to be physically in school. Um, in indoor dining and indoor bars crowded, yes, we have to limit that. The science does say this, but don't go crazy. I'm- That's all we need. Don't go crazy. And you can eat outdoors and limited indoors. Why does that not matter? Well, what did she do? I'm not familiar with her. What 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 she's in a basically total lockdown. Kids are doing virtual learning. Well, look, I you know, I don't know what the numbers are like in Michigan. I don't know what deal she has with the teachers. This stuff is, you know, unfortunately, we turn this into a political discussion. It's not really. I just don't understand why it's to her benefit to shut down businesses. Like, why does that make her feel better? I do I mean I again I don't know what she did I don't know what what all is in there uh, I have I I have not stayed up to date on Michigan's uh coronavirus restrictions but you know the different states have different governors and different states will do different things What's the aid package the state of the aid package uh right now in Congress we were at 900 billion then the president said um when Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell signed off on $600 stimulus checks but not the increase in unemployment. Where does this stand? We were pretty close. Uh, we were pretty close. I don't know where we are now, because something had happened that had never happened before in the Trump era, which was McConnell was actively negotiating. You know that McConnell's stance for the Trump presidency has basically been, after a, a brief period at the beginning, has basically been you and Nancy Pelosi, Trump and Pelosi, come up with something. And then we'll take a look at it. But we're not going to wade into this until the president of our own party has signed off on something. So this was the first time that McConnell himself got involved on the legislative side for this lame duck, uh, because McConnell wants it to be. And I don't want to I don't want to be too tedious. The uh, Friday is the deadline for government funding. Uh, Congress is ready to pass a one point four trillion dollar. I think, uh, continuing funding, a spending package to take us through the next fiscal year. What McConnell wants to do is plump that out and put stimulus stuff on top of that and have it go as basically one package. Democrats weren't sure, but might come around to it. They were moving towards conclusion. Now the administration in the person of uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin have gotten involved. This uh, I'm hearing today that there's that that some of the changing standards here have caused a little bit of flusterment. Biden has signed off on 
the framework, the core of the deal, which is from the bipartisan group. So it's got the, the original has Biden's blessing. They were moving in the right direction. But today, I have to say, it's a, a, there's a little more doubt now that um, Mnuchin's in the play and, and ha- has added other requests. All right. Here is Senator Schumer uh, talking about McConnell. Leader McConnell has refused to be part of the negotiations. Leader McConnell has refused to be part of the bipartisan negotiations. And now he's sabotaging good faith bipartisan negotiations because his partisan ideological effort is not getting a good reception. And since Senator Schumer is so nonpartisan, it's really discouraging when he meets somebody that's partisan. And obviously he's expressing that. Why does he always have copy that he looks like he has never seen before? Uh, maybe he hasn't. Maybe he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one thing, to, one thing to remember in Washington, the usually the uglier the rhetoric gets, the closer they are to a deal, right? It's the last little bit that provokes the most intense caterwauling. And most of the caterwauling from both sides you can just ignore because it's just theater and who cares? Uh, just posturing. Uh, I do think that there's a deal within reach. Okay. Uh, and I and, it, and certainly 70% of Americans or something would be thrilled. 70, 80% of Americans would be thrilled to get something Great. passed. Chris, thanks so much. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fung's relationship with Swalwell began in 2012. Like so many Chinese spies, Fung used college as her cover. She enrolled as a student at a university in the Bay Area, and she immediately joined a number of left-wing identity politics organizations on campus. From there, she quite naturally began raising money for Democratic candidates. U.S. intelligence officials believe that Fung had a sexual relationship with Eric Swalwell. We asked Swalwell's office about that directly today. His staff replied by saying... They couldn't comment on whether or not Swalwell had a sexual relationship with Fung because that information might be, quote, classified. They did not elaborate or explain what they meant by that. So this is pretty amazing. Uh, Axios does this report for over a year, and they find out that one of the Chinese, many ways of trying to infiltrate and destroy America, is to get into some up-and-coming Democratic politicians and try to become the fabric of their staff and see what they're made of and maybe influence them to be pro-China in many ways. Well, one of the people they targeted, Eric Swalwell. How do we know? Well, he confirmed it. He got a defensive briefing. Imagine that, President Trump, what that would have been like. Defensive briefing from the FBI because things were getting a little hot and heavy, perhaps. With me right now is Martha McCallum. Martha, what I said is not new to you. Might be new to the rest of America, though. Are you surprised about where this is going? Rokahana, Tulsi Gabbard also brought up in this, targeted, infiltrated? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not surprising. It's a classic way that spies try to infiltrate uh, all levels of, of our institutions. Um, we saw it in the past with Russia. We're seeing it now in a huge way with China. Well, you know, you look back at the Confucius Institutes uh, in campuses all across the country that were a lot of questions were raised about them. They were Chinese institutes that were ingrained into American universities. And then people started to say, wait a minute, you know, are, are they are they maybe, you know, taking some of our technology? Are they lifting uh, some, of, some of our, you know, independent research and all of that? So this does not surprise me one bit that the obviously, you know, clear irony in all of this for anybody who followed Followed Eric Swalwell throughout the Russian collusion uh, in, uh, 
debacle for three years, um, is that he was willing to go way out on a limb and accuse the president of colluding with Russia, saying that there was evidence. He called him a Russian agent. So my question at this point would be, you know, are you a Chinese agent? You know, I, I mean, and I think that it's as unfair to, to say that at this point as it was for him to point the same finger at President Trump. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, so basically, we don't no, know. We don't know. Uh, we do not know if what information he gave. We do not know if there was some type of relationship there before he was married. But we don't know he brought another intern in on her recommendation. Uh, we know also that he spoke about this on CNN today. And Eric, not the first cut. Can we go to the second cut from CNN? Well, I, I know that I didn't. Uh, again, I, I can't talk too much about the details of the case, even though others may have violated their oath. I'm not going to violate mine. But the Axios story made it absolutely clear uh, that no information was ever uh, shared. Except, Jim, the people who did share classified information were the people who leaked this story. And to do that uh, against the critic of the president, they may think that they're going to silence me. They're not going to silence me. Uh, but what they are going to do is they're going to make others think twice when they're asked to sit down and provide defensive information uh, about people like this. I, I hope none of my colleagues ever find themselves in the position that I found myself in, that I found myself in uh, by having to sit down with the FBI because someone who had helped the campaign was trying to do this. But I hope every person would want to help their country, just so, as I did. So he's worried about future defensive briefings. Yeah. Isn't that admirable? Gee, and, and wouldn't it have been nice if President Trump had been given the information that there were efforts to reach out to his campaign, that they were concerned about some of the people who were dangling relationships with people on his campaign? That would have been really, really helpful at that point. And it might have saved the nation years of heartache and destruction and division if only he had received the kind of briefing that Eric Swalwell received and that Dianne Feinstein received for having somebody on her staff that was suspected of being a spy as well. So unfortunately, there seems to be two different rules. And, and the suggestion that he makes there that it's political, that there might be a political motivation because of his, because of his uh, posture with regard to the Russian collusion events um, – it's just it just smacks of such delicious Absolutely. irony, right? I mean, you know, he President Trump was never given that benefit of doubt. It was a political hit job from from the beginning that had absolutely no substantiating underlying facts, which we learned in a painful, long, expensive way. Hey, you know what? T Tucker had this great exchange uh, of Swalwell questioning James Comey in a way in which he was targeted. It seems because this Christian Fang, evidently uh, her goal, amazing by the way, to be 20 something and to be a spy and try to infiltrate a superpower like ours, yep. pretending to be a student. Uh, they current these uh, Democratic figures, uh, former intelligence official told the outlet, meaning Axios, that Fang used campaign fundraising, networking and rallies, as well as romantic relationship with at least two Midwestern mayors to gain proximity to political power. She also attended regional mayoral conferences. So she got around. She did. From West Coast to, uh, to the Midwest. So I want you to hear some of the exchange with uh, James Comey uh, from yesterday's uh, Tucker Carlson show. I want to talk about the Kremlin playbook. And there are a number of ways that a foreign adversary could seek to influence a person. Do you agree with that? Yes. Financial? Yes, that can be one. Uh, romance, you said, is another? Yes. Compromise? Correct. Setting up a compromise? Sure, to execute on a compromise, yes. How about inadvertently capturing a compromise? Meaning they have vast surveillance and you stumble into that surveillance and are caught in a compromise. And then they take that information, try and use it to coerce you? Right. Yeah, that's part of the playbook. 
What are they doing? Table mm-hmm. reads? Yeah, that's part of the playbook. <laughs> that's exactly how it's done. That's then, exactly how it's done. Gee, that sounds familiar now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds exactly what the Chinese were doing to him. It's, and with how he's been defensively briefed. You know, and I mean, he's on the Intelligence Committee. He's not, you know, uh, he's still? not unfamiliar still. And he's not unfamiliar with these sorts of things, which he made quite clear there in that exchange with Jim Comey. So to now sort of pretend like, gee, if only we had the resources, I could have figured out that she was a spy um, is um, a bit ham-handed. And she, he was very critical of John Ratcliffe when he wrote that editorial and then he later talked about what Chinese China has done. He's basically saying, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. They're trying to get at us in every way, military, military, economically, trying to, uh, trying to sever our relationships with our allies, trying to uh, get in front of Australia, New Zealand, the European Union. Thankfully, uh, this virus has sobered a lot of people up to what they're dealing with if they get in bed with this Belt and Road program with China. They're realizing, and you're seeing the reports that are not Wall Street Journal reports. You're seeing in Europe, they're writing to each other, really? We're going to go do a deal with them? So I find this unbelievable. I'm very curious to see where it's going to go. But I do feel so much better knowing if the Biden administration becomes the Biden administration, that Pete Buttigieg will be the ambassador to China because I know he'll be the firewall between us and total anarchy. <laughs> Why would he be the person that they pick, the 36-year-old former South Bend mayor, to play such an important role against our number one adversary? Now, um, it, it, it's an excellent question. I know he speaks a lot of languages. I'm not sure if Chinese is one of them, um, but it seems like you know being – you know, potential translator is is one of many qualifications that you would expect for someone in that kind of position. I mean, George H. W. Bush was the ambassador to China after he was shot down in the Pacific in World War II, and was CIA uh, director. He was a CIA director. He was a senator. He was a congressman. So um, it ambassador is a job that requires it requires a depth of experience and understanding of international relations and China itself. Um, that I think you know, I, I can't help but think that they would be pretty excited if they heard that that was going to be the ambassador. All right. So I want to pivot, if I can, uh, to talk about the president's uh, cases. And, you know, we're seeing he basically has not been able to prevail in all 50 of his cases. But in almost every case he brought forward, there's merit to it. There's merit to the uh, ballots, the signature verifications. There's there's merit to the fact that observers weren't able to see. Uh, There was merit to the fact that roles were not cross-checked. But I want you to hear what Karl Rove just said, who's now in Georgia and now trying to get two senators elected uh, from that state. Look, yeah, the president's been ill-served by his lawyers, with all due respect. I mean, we saw that with Sidney Powell, who alleges a conspiracy that began in, uh, by Hugo Chavez and, and uh, the, in Venezuela in, you know, in 2004. I mean, you know, the, 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 and these lawsuits, they're too little too late. The, the, why wasn't the, the Trump campaign legal team out there jumping on these things as they happen? Or better yet, think ahead I know. And, and make certain that you get confirmation in, in, in front of a judge that, that, uh, that these procedures are going to be followed to the letter of the law when you have evidence that they haven't been pa- followed in, in past elections in, say, Fulton County or DeKalb County or Cobb County in Georgia. You're shaking your head. 100%. And I have said this night after night on my show. Um, The problem happened before the election. There were 75 legal cases that were won by Democrats in 
districts all across the country that changed the rules on signature verification. You know, picture like a garden hose as, you know, this is which votes get through. You have to, you know, check the boxes on all these things in order to get through. It, they turned it into a fire hose, okay? And in the middle of a, of a COVID pandemic, when you've got 41% of the nation voting by mail, it, uh, it just opened the spigot in a way that made it so impossible to make sure that all of those signatures matched up to real people. And I'm not saying that they didn't. It just made it so much fuzzier and so much more difficult. But those cases were won before the election. These Republican attorneys should have been locked into those rooms. Nobody should have been able to stop a count and allow a Republican watcher to leave. These laws and rules, this horse is so far out of the barn, and that's why I keep pressing guests on my show about, well, what are you doing now to to make sure that Georgia gets fixed before January 5th? And the sad reality is that that there's very little that seems to be happening in terms of fixing some of these things. Now, Democrats are going to call this voter disenfranchisement. Republicans are going to call it, you know, allowing uh, votes to get through that are not legitimate because they're not signed, that they're not dotted correctly. There's no signature verification. There's no ID on it. You know, they both have their, their camps in this. But the fact of the matter is that the legal battle happened before the election. Now the Republican side is trying to put that horse back in the barn, and it is tough. So I saw your interview with Brad Parsky was excellent. I think both of us were very impressed with him. Uh, but we watched as the complaints started rising. And next thing you know, he was yeah. out and we saw him shirtless being arrested yeah. outside his house. I want to talk to you about that when we come back and talk to you about how that might play into this. Okay. The change at the head. Bill Stepien's invisible, right? He took over. I don't even know where this guy is. Did he just go home? Uh, back in a moment. Martha McCallum, by the way, is on tonight at 7. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it was a decision on COVID to go for opening the economy versus public empathy. We had a difference on this. I thought we should have public empathy. I think people were scared. I, I walked around this people and walk, watched people walk around me. Not, not like two years ago when they just don't walk next because I'm Brad Parscale, but walk around me because I got a mask on now and they just don't want to get caught COVID. I, that was Brad Parscale sat exclusively down with Martha McCallum. Great uh, series of interviews over a few days. Martha is here now. She's going to be hosting her show at 7 on Common Valor's uh, Still Out. Martha, your take from Brad uh, Parscale, who was the last time I had seen him before I saw your show, he was without a shirt, flat on the ground, being handcuffed and arrested. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that was a very tough time for him. We talked about that. Um, he... His wife uh, never pressed any charges. Uh, you know, initially she said that there that he tried to harm her, that she thought he tried to harm himself, uh, and she was afraid of that. And he said, you know, that he had gotten to a very dark place. I think it's obviously he was in the middle of this campaign and uh, felt very passionate about it and very tough to be to be sidelined in the middle of such an enormous uh, national election. Um, he seemed like he's doing much better to me. Uh, he seems focused on the future and focused on rebuilding his business. Um, but I, he, there's clearly a lot of things that he feels went off the rails when he left. And you can understand that. I think anybody would feel that way, that they would have, have done a better job. And I, I did not speak to um, Bill Stepien or the people who ran the campaign Where after is he? he left. Where is Bill Stepien? Well, that's a good question. We have heard nothing from him. I mean, we had Jason Miller on last night who was uh, you know, right up there with Bill Stepien's 
second, second in control of the campaign. But no, we haven't heard from Bill Stepien at all. So Brad Parscale, they said that he had alienated his people, that he was not communicating, that he was keeping things to himself. He was hard to approach. He never had run a campaign before, and it was showing. He left people like David Bossie, Corey Lewandowski, Kellyanne Conway. They had no interest in what their input at all. And next thing you know, they, when he got removed, Stepien gone in, they did seem to somehow do a little bit better. But wasn't Jared actually running everything? I think so. I, I mean, I think that in 2016 and in 2020, uh, Jared played a very big role. Um, Brad Parscale told me that he felt that his role was very large in 2016 as well. Of course, Kellyanne Conway was the not uh, happy about that statement. head of the campaign, not happy about that statement. Um, she was the front person on the 2016 campaign. So 2020 comes around and he's elevated to this level. And I think that, you know, he and Jared had a very close relationship. But I think Tulsa, Oklahoma was a turning point after that rally. I do think there was a lot of internal strife in the campaign over whether or not they should be doing rallies at all, whether they should do something creative. I know that there was discussion about doing things at racetracks and uh, doing outdoor events. You know, I always wonder whether or not it would have worked if the president had been on a boat at, you know, at the head of one of those at the boat parades and had done things outside. Um, And uh, maybe maybe it would have made a difference. Uh, I've never seen such passionate fans. We will never see it again in our lifetime. And to me, this is a scenario I would give uh, the president. I could see this being somewhat likely, but who knows? He goes and gets those January 5th elections to go his direction. And then he works for the next, takes a little time while works those two years to make sure the House finishes the job and becomes a Republican House because that's Mm -hmm. where it's heading. If they could find a way, it's going to be harder in 2022 to hold the Senate, according to predictive uh, experts. But if he's able to do that, and then you watch four years of compromise and, and just lockdown, Things will be set up for him to make history again. First time since Grover Cleveland to come back. He'll be better at the job. He'll know exactly how to staff. And it'll, and the country will not be that much off course where he left it. But if they lose these seats, if uh, he goes out the wrong way and they lose the Senate in 2022, there'll just be too much momentum in another direction. I think that's a very good assessment. I think that anybody who underestimates the strength of Donald Trump and the 75 million votes, unprecedented number of votes for the Republican candidate in this country. Don't ever forget that. And the people who support him are more passionate now, I think, than ever. And so there's nobody that I can see on the political horizon who could even touch him in terms of the ability to bring out those crowds. Absolutely. So, you know, that's got to have a lot of people who thought that their number was going to be up next, uh, wondering if they have a future running for president. But um, you're right. If he if he plays it, his cards correctly, he's got an enormous following. I don't know what they're doing in New Jersey, but in New York, they're beginning to lock down again. Admiral Girard told us this about outdoor dining. You know, the data are, are, are clear that, you know, outdoor dining with appropriate separation is not a risk factor. Uh, same thing with outdoor bars with appropriate separation. I even went back to the CDC and said, has there been any outbreaks traced to outdoor dining with appropriate separation? They said, no, they don't have it. So this is one of those overreactions. You know, people people close the schools and keep other stuff open. Um, the science says you can keep the schools open, and the kids need that to be physically in school. Um, in indoor dining and indoor bars crowded, yes, we have to limit that. The science does say this, but don't go crazy. I'm- See, he just told us that. So he's like, of course, well, why are you doing this, California? Why are you doing this, Michigan, without mentioning? Why are you doing it again, New York? They're knocking down to 25% now in New York. You know, we kept hearing through the whole campaign process, you know, 
obey the science the scientist was said Damn. almost like it was a religious calling, right? You, you obey the science, listen to the science. If Joe Biden's elected, he will listen to the scientists. So why are they now not listening to the scientists and looking at the data? There are categories of people who should stay home, who should right. keep themselves away from crowds. There are other categories of people who you know, have much less to worry about. People need to make these decisions on their own and let the businesses survive. My decision is to watch you tonight at 7. That's will you support decision. that decision? You Absolutely, will support it? Absolutely, I support See, it. See, that's what the science says. <laughs> Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Brian. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.